Hello. 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 Oh, hi, yeah, Mom. Hi. So I, I sent you the recording of my conversation with Pierre. Yes, I love his French accent. It was lovely listening to it. <laughs> okay. What do you think people are in store for, aside from his French accent, in the conversation today? What was interesting is that he seemed to have called you in after he realized that his customers were using the product in ways that his company and he never anticipated. So he realized that it would open up a whole new client base yep. if he could tell the story to fit with these new uses of this product. Did I hear a noise in the background? Where are you right now? I'm in the living room, and Dad's, the only thing you could have heard was the utensil on the plate. Oh, okay. He's eating. Oh, okay. I think but that, that, it, it, it was just a tiny little thing. There's no noise in here. Oh, okay. I think that's what I heard. Okay. I'm Andy Raskin, and this is The Bigger Narrative. In each episode, I talk with leaders about their strategic narrative. It's a story they're telling that's bigger than their companies and their products, a story about change in their customers' world, a story that drives success in sales, marketing, fundraising, recruiting, product, everything. And my guest for this episode is Pierre Metraillet, CEO of SpotMe. SpotMe is a major player in event apps. They make it easy to offer your attendees a custom app for seeing the agenda, interacting with panelists, meeting other attendees. Of course, that was when in-person events were still a thing. Based in Switzerland, Pierre's been posting on LinkedIn about shifting SpotMe's business and its narrative for a COVID world. And since I worked with them on that pre-COVID narrative, I wanted to hear how that was going. Pierre and I first met in 2018 when he invited me to SpotMe's headquarters in Lausanne because he wanted to increase or enhance what we call the revenue quality. So we were just crossing like 15 million or so. This 15 million were made of relatively little transactions for B2B software that was like increments of 10,000 or 15,000. I grew a little bit frustrated with that. I really wanted to have those enterprise customers to buy our stuff, not one event by event, but rather buy for the whole year. Because what we've seen is the people who were more committed financially, they were also doing a better job at executing and implementing the, the, the solution. So they were putting better events together. So that was the primary reason. One of the other reasons why uh, I went into a search and like, hey, how are we going to develop this new story? Is I was listening and sitting in those presentations to our customers and I realized that it was a a sort of morass of sameness compared to probably what the competition was doing. And there was absolutely no story. People will take our app and they will open up the website or the mobile app and they would start from the first menu item uh, on the top to the one on the bottom. And they would say, oh, here we've got analytics and here we've got the agenda. So you're talking and about your, your salespeople? Yeah, this I'll, is I'll what they rep. would do in, 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 a, in a reps. That's how they would exactly. run a call. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I was already thinking, without meeting you, I was thinking, hey, try to present it in a way like, you know, this is somebody's using the tool or perhaps one of the users who is going to an event, what their journey is. And so that was the starting point. Could you give people a sense of what was the story that you came to that drove that increase in the average deal size? Of course, you, you came on board, but we had noticed that 
there was a bit of a, a new trend in the space where people were saying, well, we, we can't justify all that spend. And it's, it's enormous. It's about 500 billion a year going to B2B events. And we can't justify just by saying this is a great event. We need something more. We need long-term goals. We need things like learning, knowledge. I remember you saying that a great event is not just a great lunch. And I think we discussed it to the point where it's actually how the, on the slideware right now, that's you have this big pizza slice. That's like, this is how we went in the past, yes. Mm-hmm. So that was the change that we observed, right? And it wasn't like someone did write a book about it. This is not like this is a HBR article. This was really undercover. But we started to see that people started to abuse or actually use our product in a way that it wasn't intended for. Uh, We are doing an event app. So you're supposed to load your agenda and then put documents and do some live polling and, you know, stuff like this. But people started to be creative and it started to extend it beyond the event, before the event, between events. And they started to build um, complete programs like extending over several years Uh, and then we saw you know people calling us and saying hey i'm running clinical trials and i'm actually using your event app because for clinical trials they're doing meetings with all these investigators but we're actually using the app for the entire trial so you said Uh, they're abusing the app but actually they're using it in this interesting way beyond the event to 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 encompass something it was beyond the event and it was also connecting events right Mm -hmm. it was Mm -hmm. like connecting the dots that you have and there's some Something more than events. So the way where we landed it is we said, okay, events are episodes in your in your greater story. And that ended up be our our, our storyline. Yeah. So they used to be lunch or you know, some self-contained experience that you had to make great. And the shift was, well, now your customers or your team, everybody's expecting that this event is going to be part of this bigger experience and bigger relationship and bigger story. That's right. That's yeah. right. By the way, one of the big learning here is I think uh, a lot of people ask me, like, where do I start with the story? Uh, and and one of the big learning is look at the places where people are sort of abusing your product or using mm. your product mm. in a way that you like. That's not what mm. I built it for. It's cool, but that's mm. not what I built mm. it for in the first mm. place. So your goal was to boost the average deal size most people, I think you work with, will tell you how much more money they did after they did the strategic narrative. In our case, we actually um, did pretty much the same money the year after because we implemented recurring revenue and bigger plans with customers. And that means that commitment was bigger. The average deal size was much bigger. Uh, and we went from 0% to 60% recurring revenue year over year. But our top line actually stayed pretty much the, stayed mm. pretty much the same. It sounds like that came at the expense initially of smaller ones. Going all in in that narrative, mm. we actually had to fire those customers. Mm. So that the year we did go with this new story, we actually had a massive churn in, in the sort of smaller customers because it was a bit of a test of a moment of truth for, for our customers. Like, mm-hmm. are you ready to commit for one year for all your events or for you know all the programs of this team, for example, as opposed to this one-off and then one-off and then one-off? And interesting enough, it's, okay, it looks better on the PL to have a much higher uh, recurring revenue. But the, the thinking, the stunning point for me was there is so much waste of time 
because mm. you need to talk to the salesperson every time. There's a negotiation happening every time. There's a project starting every time. Then client got frustrated because on their side, they were never really becoming self-sufficient with mm -hmm. the software. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was a lot of friction that was created by this very transactional approach. Mm. And, and our solution is helping people put together uh, better events and creating more engagement with, with people attending events. And we saw a direct correlation between people having this bigger commitment and their results. Mm. And so ultimately what we wanted to do is provide is provide better value. One of the things that I, I found really interesting, I remember you, you started taking this out into sales calls. And there was an early call you told me about where the audience was almost all IT folks. And as all companies I work with, you talk with different personas in the buying process. And one big group is these IT folks. And then, of course, you have the business side people who are in charge of the event. And you told me that your salesperson decided, well, these are all IT folks. They don't care about this big story about the, you know, your events are right. part of an episode. And right, right. they decided to just kind of skip ahead <laughs> past that stuff. So so it was actually, just to put also a little bit more context, it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't just like an IT uh, okay. group. Uh -huh. It was a German IT <laughs> and, and and this this person is like the overall head of CRM implementation and analytics. And I, I distinctively remember sitting in the plane with the account manager, who is one of our best uh, best salesperson, and and she was telling me like, um, "Hey, we're not doing the story, are we?" And I was like, I just looked looked up the guy on LinkedIn, and and I was like, "No, we're not." <laughs> We're not going and talk and talk feature. Because yeah. we feel like, hey, he's just going to be too nuts and bolts to want to go into this story thing. It was also a little bit pressured in a way that we had received a brief and he was like, we need to talk about this, 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 this. I the see. I had see, dictated I see. the agenda uh -huh, and it uh -huh. was very, very technical. Mm -hmm. So we went in and we sort of started being very reactive and like, oh, we looked at your specification and that's what we can offer. And it just fell flat. It was just like depressing and you could see this was was going nowhere. And at one point it was this magic moment where the account manager and, and, and we looked at each other, I think our eyes crossed. And I remember we reached out to the computer at the same time to go back to the top of the deck that we had supposedly skipped. Which was and, the, the story part, the, the, story. the, the narrative part. And we went part, in yeah. and just at the same time, we both reached out to the keyboard to go back to slide one. We started at slide, I, I don't know, like 12 or whatever. And, and we sort of said, hey, I think you get the idea that now we can do all these things. But I think we need a little context around why all these things really matter. And the guy was like, yeah, sure. And we started it. We didn't have a lot of time left, so we kind of sped through, through it. But then he was like, actually, I have more time. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've got more time. This is interesting. And I think um, that's a big learning that we that we made on that day. Actually, we went back and she, the account manager, she sort of spoke to the team. And she said, well, that, that's the reason why you should never judge. Always assume that you're go going to seed any conversation with it. And mm. it's probably mm. true for sales, but it's probably mm. true for all the other things we do in the company. I got to tell you, I hear this a lot from teams like, hey, we have this audience that's, I don't know if they're German, but they're very technical and they're not going to be interested in this high level thing or they know it already or whatever. What do you think is the dynamic? Like, why 
was this effective with this person versus just giving them the feature answers that you thought yeah. that they wanted? Well, I think there are two reasons. The first one is that people are just bored with all the same thing. I mean, I see this myself as a buyer. 90% of the sales conversation are feature, I think you call this descriptive selling, and that's just dry and that's just horrible. And as a buyer, you feel miserable. In our case, we had, you know, flown in and so you, you, you want to be respectful, but it's, it's just not a good experience. The second thing is, even for someone highly technical, and that was clearly the case with this guy, as long as you can bring things from the story that he or she can relate to, as long as you can sort of degrade that into features, in our case, his whole project was about how he's going to integrate all events in his CRM. But all the things he was talking about in his feature discussion then suddenly was grounded mm. when we started mm. to talk about the story. Because the mm. story is all about connecting mm. events together. And in this case, when he wanted to bring this stuff back into one system, actually he was saying the story, but that story made sense. It brought purpose. Mm. It mm. also made it easier for him to explain it to other people inside his own group. Mm. Um, so I think this is, this is very, very powerful. Got it. So even a German IT leader is human and can relate to that story and use it to then bring it to the rest of his team. Right, right. Yeah. right. Obviously, uh, the world has changed with coronavirus and that has particularly impacted your business. You've been posting a lot on LinkedIn about where you go with this story now. That was a little bit of the impetus for us to talk in this episode. Can you give me a sense of what is that meant for you and what is that meant for the story you're telling or, or how are you thinking about it? So to give a little bit of context, I know a lot of people with their business are, are going to difficult moments and uh, have sympathy for everybody. But the way you can think about our business, we pretty much at the level of an airline, right? Mm. You know, planes don't fly, people don't meet, you don't get paid. That's pretty much what, what it is. And events in this whole reopening are going to be the last, last thing mm -hmm. that is going to be reopened, right? Uh, perhaps stadiums is going to be after that. But now we have this thing where suddenly events got canceled and, and then people are all rushing for this one thing, which is like, how do I do an event online? How do, how do I put together a virtual event? And there was a market out there, but it was like very small and the products that existed were pretty bad. And suddenly you sort of reboot the market and you restart from, from scratch and you've got like, you know, 20 or 50 companies rushing to do that. So that's the sort of reboot that we're looking at. And I'm like looking at it and very, very quickly, like six weeks in, suddenly I start to hear like five times within three days, the same thing. And I've posted about it. People saying, actually, you know, those two days events that we used to do, and perhaps it had like 15 sessions, that's not going to work for us anymore. What's going to work for us is like spreading those events over perhaps two to three weeks and having much shorter moments, like 20 minutes to 45 minutes. And then perhaps all these things that we're doing live synchronously as people like logging in and listening to something, watching something at, at you know, at 2 p.m., Perhaps we can just do a recording of it and they can watch it on demand. And this live thing, we can keep it for the very exciting, social, uh, interactive, two-way, fireside chat, Q&A, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, ask me anything type of moment. And I was like, that's it. 
what people want are moments. This thing about, you know, episodes and connecting events when events don't exist anymore. It's all about moments. People mm. who want to create experiences because there's, of course, a bigger problem and that predates COVID-19 is people don't have the time and they want to be flexible with their time. And events have been very captive and bringing people in and locking them into a room for two days. And that's not there mm. anymore. Mm. And so we're having this thing where we are rewriting the story, but not completely because it's the same thing. It's essentially this idea of episodes. Uh, and now we, we switch this to moments and experiences uh, um, that are being connected together and, and, and you know, bringing people together just for what matters. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what's happening now. And it's pretty, pretty cool. Hmm. So instead of the events or, or episodes in the bigger story, it's these moments and orchestrating these moments that are probably going to be mostly virtual moments over time into some sort of bigger relationship and, and giving them meaning and that kind of thing. Yeah. And what's really cool is that in the past, when we were talking about connecting events and having events that are episodes of your greatest story, people, I think perhaps 20% would get it mm -hmm. and we say yes i get it mm -hmm. i have this onboarding event uh, and then i have this follow-up leadership program and they were they were realizing you know this is part of the same thing but i think this was the minority i see now this idea of of a three or four week experience with moments and in some of these moments being you know personal moments that you do it on demand and some of it is like live it resonates with the majority mm. of people because no one wants to go on a webinar anymore. And the mm. webinar is now mm. the enemy for mm. us. Mm. People want to get something different and that's how they can get it. Is this new story driving you to create, I don't know, new product or is it too early to say that? Yeah, I think it's too early to say that. I think there was a debate lately on whether you needed a, a, a strategic narrative uh, in product market fit phase. We are back to product market fit here. It's literally like watching what the competition is doing. Oh, they've added this low latency live streaming. So let's yeah. go and do low latency live streaming for the next two weeks, right? Uh, and then see how the customer reacts. So it's very, very feature driven. But it's still useful because I still have this box and I've reminded the team, I still have this box, which is like, that's our story. People have no time. They want to have flexible time. They want to have moments. Mm. And we've got to support that. Mm. So in the product development, when we iterate, I'm like, hey, I, I understand we're trying to match. or we trying to do better? or we trying to add this new feature? But how does that support this narrative that we have? And people, ah, yeah, let's deprioritize this and let's do more on-demand stuff. Let's, and, and I think it's helpful but it's not as much as in the driving seat as it, as it was in the past. And if you go to our website now, you probably don't see much of it mm -hmm. because it's like feature, 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 feature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we're now flipping it because it's what we're going through right now. It's so fascinating. It's an accelerated, the market is rebooting in a matter of weeks and now the market is maturing in a matter of weeks, which typically would have taken, you know, three to five years. And, and we already see that maturity happening. And in the sales deck, though, now we've re-implemented that story now and we, we started to see the first, the first results. That's great. And a lot of people have asked me because, you know, I, I deal with messaging and words to give people advice on how they should be communicating during this pandemic. And I've largely said no uh, to that because I, I think kind of what you're hitting at is that if we say the strategic narrative is the strategy, it's 
something that is over the long term where you're like you said you're kind of observing this this new narrative emerge and it takes time for that thing to emerge we're in this period where everyone's kind of like the old narrative is over but we haven't quite found what the new narrative yeah. is i mean it's everyone a- is scrambling everyone is scrambling and i think you're right i think you're totally right i I did, by the way, the way we did, um, I think our first story was very collaborative. I think you talk about a lot about how you involve your, your leadership team and, and all these things. I, I didn't do any of that. I showed up one day and I said, that's, that's the, mm. that's the mm. story prototype version one. Let's try to iterate on it. And I think people understood, they say, okay, <laughs> let's try to build on it. And, and we're iterating. We are literally iterating on it every week. What, what helps though? is the structure and the framework, mm, uh, mm, you know, mm. having all those elements like, mm. you know, the, the lightsabers, the, the enemies and all these things. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. I think all of this works very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I love to hear is when teams, yes, it's great to hear that the narrative we built together had some impact, but eventually it will probably have to change and evolve. And to hear that the team has the capabilities to to go and do that, especially to react in a time like this, that's what I really love, to hear that that capability got instilled. Yes, yes. (laughs) Cool. Well, not every CEO has been as open as you have about Wow, what this new world means for their company and and how they're trying to reposition and pivot. And I think a lot of people have learned a lot from you sharing that. So thank you. All right. Thanks. Oh, man, so many great points in this conversation. But my favorite has to be that one about the German IT guy. I can't tell you how often I hear that technical buyers don't need a narrative. The narrative isn't a substitute for technical details. It's a frame for those details, so it's clear why they matter. The Bigger Narrative is produced and edited by me, Andy Raskin, with music by Stephen Emerson and podcast cover art by Angela May Chen. Carla Borelli inspired the show by telling me I should do it over coffee. Thanks to Pierre Metraillet, not least for his guidance on pronouncing his last name. Sorry, Pierre, I know I still have a lot of work to do on that. And everyone at Spot Me. Special thanks also to Mindy Sabella, Mina Radhakrishnan, Kelly Watkins, Lucas Miller, Logan Miller, Dan Pecoraro, Cecile Muchnik, and Carol Wasserman. And remember, the company story is the company strategy.